RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. All new starships and a larger size format and officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and receive the USS Shinjo for only $9.95 with free shipping. For details, visit eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 275, Dex. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we dig deep into an episode of Star Trek, examining it for messages and morals, ideas and ideals, and seeing whether it all holds up today. This week, Dax. The one with Dax. Reminiscent of the Enterprise incident, which was a TOS episode that featured, um... The Enterprise. John's got trivia coming up in a moment, but first... Oh, but first, a word from Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. You know the collection. These are the ones that are officially authorized by CBS Studios. The official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection is available only from Eagle Moss Collections. Now, this special collection features brand new ship concepts and designs from the first season of CBS's Star Trek Discovery. Each has gone through extensive reference study and has been reproduced under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson for accuracy and detail. The first thing you may notice upon receiving your first ship, the Shenzhou NCC-1227, is the larger size, nearly 8 inches from the front of the saucer to the rear of the nacelles. All the ships in this collection are in this larger scale, made of die-cast metal and ABS materials, and hand-painted with reference to the actual CG models used in production. Each ship also comes with a display base. Hello! Plus a collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of the technology on board. I love the in-universe stuff, Ken. It's very exciting. The first ship in the collection, as we mentioned, is the USS Shinjo NCC-1227, and it is available to subscribers for only $9.95 with free shipping at eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. Additional models, including the USS Discovery NCC-1031, the USS Corella, NCC-1255, and the reimagined Klingon Bird of Prey will then ship monthly at an exclusive 20% discount off the standard retail price, and they also come with free shipping. Subscribers are also entitled to free gifts worth over $100 and may cancel their subscriptions at any time. Full details can be found at eaglemoss.com slash discoverystarships. So you can do that, but fans who would like to purchase their favorite ships individually... Well, they can do that as well, and they can do that online at shop.eaglemoss.com or at their local comic book shop for the regular price of $54.95 each. But again, to subscribe, go to eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. And a huge thanks to Eaglemoss 
for sponsoring this week's show. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now, it is that time of that thing... John Champion is going to regale us with trivia about Dax, which, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, this episode actually features um, Dax. This is the episode with Dax. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this because there haven't yeah. been, you know, there have only been like five episodes before this with Dax. Yeah, no, mark it on your calendar. Today is the day with the Dax episode. So the story was written by Peter Allen Fields, and certainly we've already talked about his contributions on Next Gen and then as a producer on Deep Space Nine. But the teleplay on today's episode, Peter Allen Fields co-wrote with DC Fontana. What? That's right. Yeah. Wow. Dorothy Fontana, the one and only. Now, she, of course, was a story editor on the original series. She was associate producer on the animated series and then kicked off more early work on Next Gen. She was at it from the beginning of Trek as Gene's assistant. And this is her last on-screen writing credit for Star Trek. So, a momentous episode in many ways. Dax was directed by David Carson. Well, of course, he had a good run of four episodes on Next Gen, and then he directed the DS9 pilot Emissary, and we will see his work two more times on this series. Oh, we get to welcome back an old friend. It's the old matte painting from Angel One. Yeah, yeah. So we've seen this place just so many times with a few little tweaks and modifications here and there, especially when they did the HD remasters. They they kind of added some buildings and changed the shapes a little bit. But yeah, we, we first saw this location uh, on Angel 1 and uh, we saw it used in First Contact, that being the episode First Contact, not the movie. Oh, it was uh, Starbase 515 in Samaritan Snare. And we'll see it again. Believe you me, we'll see it again. Uh, a cool little prop note in this episode. There is a replica of the Raiders of the Lost Ark fertility idol in Dax's quarters. Now, it isn't gold here. It's a little dull, but uh, but you you can see it. You know, you go through that scene when we see her in her quarters, and you can just kind of pause it. And, and there it is. Throw me the idol. I threw you the whip. Guest stars. Today's episode is just chock full of Star Trek repeat guest stars. So let's start out with Gregory Itzen. He plays Elon Tandro. Now, remember that scene in Airplane when Robert Stack marches into the airport and just punches and hurls a long line of religious zealots on his way to work? Well, the first one was Gregory Itzen. Now, that may not be the most important work in his career. Come on, he, he was the vice president, then president, then not the president, Charles Logan on 24. But surely that is a great moment. You will also see him on The Mentalist, The Practice, Murder One, even Max Headroom. And now you're saying, but John, none of those have Star Trek in the title. And I say, just wait. He'll be back for one more turn on Deep Space Nine. Then we'll see him again on Voyager. And then finally in two roles on Enterprise. 
We have Richard Lineback playing Selin Piers. Richard has a lot of feature films under his belt, and he's got some sweet TV guest credits to his name. The important ones like MASH, China Beach, Max Headroom, and of course, The Love Boat and Fantasy Island. He appeared on Star Trek and Next Gen's very first season in Symbiosis, and we will see him again in Enterprise. Oh, there's a little bit of Spice Williams Crosby at the beginning of this episode as one of the kidnappers. She also played the Klingon Vixis in Star Trek V. Anne Haney plays the Arbiter Els Renora. Now, she's memorable in Mrs. Doubtfire as the court liaison for Robin Williams' character Danny. She is in Curb Your Enthusiasm as Mary Steenburgen's mom. But honestly, she's got such a long and varied career, it's hard to narrow it down. We did meet her before, though. Do you remember when? Well, it was way back on Next Gen in the episode The Survivors. She was Kevin Uxbridge's wife, Rishon. Or was she? Now, interestingly, she had a role as a judge on an episode of Northern Exposure called Crime and Punishment. In it, she is to decide if John Corbett's character, Chris, should be extradited back to West Virginia for violating parole, the argument being that He's a different person now. Typecasting. <laughs> and finally, as Anita Tandro, we have Finula Flanagan. And we mentioned her career highlights before when we talked about Next Gen Inheritance. Yep, she's Data's robot mom. She shot this Deep Space Nine episode before doing Next Gen. And we talked before about her extensive stage career and some of her movie and TV highlights like The Others and... The Ewok Adventure. In this edition, Bashir wakes with some bad news. The drill is gone. Prologue. Chief O'Brien is away from Deep Space Nine, so when things start breaking down, won't be on him. Julian is being his usual persistent self where Jadzia Dax is concerned. Notice me, notice me. Can I escort you to your quarters? She politely says that won't be necessary and takes off. Not necessary. But not forbidden either, says Julian, and heads off after Dax. While it is not good behavior, it's kind of a good thing this time, since in pursuing her, Bashir was able to see Dax being kidnapped. He tries to stop it from happening, and gets knocked cold for his trouble. Act 1. Bashir to Ops. Jadzia has been kidnapped. They say she's in some corridor, but no, she isn't. Bashir is, and the kidnappers left her communicator behind, so... No tracking her that way. Somehow the kidnappers are evading detection. They're very familiar with Deep Space Nine's design. They probably also know about the runabouts, which means they would have come with a faster ship. And wouldn't you know, the tractor beam is out of commission. They get it back up and running, though, just in time, and are able to catch the ship with Dax and her abductors on board. Amazingly, the abductors aren't worried about having been caught. Their leader is Ilon Tandro from Kleistron 4. He says he's got a warrant for the arrest of Dax, and the extradition treaty between his planet and the Federation makes this not a kidnapping, but a legal apprehension. The charges, treason, and the murder of Tandro's father. Act 2. Odo does a bit of digging. The warrant says Dax was responsible for the death of General Ardalon Tandro 30 years ago. That would have made Jedzia negative two years old, meaning this was in the time of Curzon Dax. Curzon was there, 
as a mediator during the Civil War on Clystron IV. Sisko thinks it's strange that Curzon never mentioned having been there, though Odo thinks that makes sense considering the charges. But Sisko won't hear it. Curzon Dax was many things, some questionable things, but he was no murderer. Well, what about a traitor? The charges say Curzon Dax betrayed the planet's government to the rebels. I knew the man, argues Sisko. But, asks Odo, did you know the symbiont inside the man? Sisko goes to see Jadzia. He says he's messaged Kleistron for confirmation of the warrant. It was the only stall tactic he could think of while he tried to figure out how to help. But Dax says she doesn't expect help. I mean, thanks, but... No. Well, Sisko will still think of something. And he does. If the extradition treaty was good and the warrant was valid, why did Tendro and his gang try to kidnap Jadzia rather than just present their papers? Then he figured it out. The extradition treaty is with the Federation, but Deep Space Nine, while managed by the Federation, belongs to the Bajorans. So Sisko defers to Major Kira. See, her issue is the Kleistron Alliance with the Cardassians. It explains how they knew how to evade detection on DS9. Not only is that a security risk, but it annoys her. With Bajoran interests involved, Sisko and Kira say an extradition hearing will have to be held. Odo says there's only one place on Deep Space Nine big enough to hold the hearing, and he straight up blackmails Quark into closing his business and giving up the space. Now Sisko's got a job for Odo. Go to Kleistron 4 and see what more you can dig up. The Bajoran Arbiter is all business. She's a hundred years old and would rather be anywhere else. She's not sure on what legal grounds Sisko was fighting the extradition, so he tells her. Curzon Dax was a male, Jadzia Dax is a female, a different host than when the crime was committed. While the thing inside may be the same, Sisko argues that Jadzia Dax is not the same person as Curzon Dax. The Arbiter doesn't agree necessarily, though she does give Tandro a more difficult task. Convince me that Jadzia Dax is the person who committed the crimes of which Curzon Dax is accused. Act 3. It's all hands on deck. Sisko tells Bashir to find some medical something establishing that a trill who's moved from one host to another can be said to be or have been two separate people rather than one being in two bodies. Kira, find some precedent that shows that a trill can't be held responsible for the actions of a symbiont in a past host. Sisko also hears from Odo. He says the death of General Tandro was the turning point in the war. His troops were so angry, they went out and won the war in his name, and made him a planet-wide hero. Also, he and Curzon Dax were inseparable. The general's widow is still alive. Odo says he'll pay her a visit. Anina Tandro is very nice, and a bit embarrassed. She knows that Curzon didn't kill her husband, wouldn't kill her husband. He'd have let himself die before he let anything happen to the general. Her son is just chasing after a dead father he never knew. The kid does have a tough bit of circumstantial evidence, though. Only five people knew the route the general was going to take the evening he was kidnapped and murdered. That route was transmitted to the rebels, and the general's son has been able to establish the whereabouts of everyone who might have made the transmission, except for Curzon Dax. Not having an alibi could be an issue. As Odo is leaving, Anina asks how Curzon is doing. She's rattled to hear that Curzon is no more. 
that the Dax, her son, is trying to extradite is the 28-year-old Jadzia. Back at the hearing, Ilan Tendro has a trill as a witness for the prosecution. That trill acknowledges remembering everything he thought and felt all the way back to his first host. So to Tendro, that proves it. Jadzia Dax is responsible for the actions carried out by Curzon Dax. Not so fast, argues Cisco. Does the symbiont suppress the personality of a new host? Uh, the witness says no, it's a joining of personalities. No one overrides the other. So, Cisco argues, it's really a new personality. A new person. From that point of view, the witness agrees with Cisco's assessment. Act 4. The Arbiter tries to pull a Solomon, split him down the middle, take the symbiont out and send it off for trial while the host stays here. Dr. Bashir says, mm, that won't work. Do that and they both die. Bashir goes a step further, though, pointing out that everything about Curzon Dax and Jadzia Dax, height, weight, blood type, gender, brainwaves, everything about Dax from one host to another is completely different, making Jadzia Dax a unique individual from Curzon Dax. Pretty compelling, though Tandro undoes that by forcing Bashir to admit that, as far as he can tell, Dax alone has exhibited no change since moving from Curzon to Dizia. Cisco has one more witness, himself. Makes sense, he's the only one there who actually knew Curzon Dax. Kira will be questioning Cisco, who says Curzon was a drinker and he liked the ladies. Very different from Jadzia, about whom he knows very little. She is a different person. When it's his turn, Tandro tries to trap Sisko into saying that Dax should be punished for the crimes committed by Curzon Dax, even though the combined entity is now Jedzia Dax. Not surprisingly, Sisko's not convinced. And neither, apparently, is the Arbiter. She calls a one-hour recess. Then Jedzia Dax will take the stand. Just then, Sisko gets a call from Odo. The news is not good. It looks like Curzon Dax and Anina Tandro may have been having an affair. And that could be motive for murder. Act 5. So, Anina Tandro is a bit bitter. Her husband was not the hero in life that he turned into in death. Oh, she soldiered on, the dutiful widow. Though if she doesn't come forward now with what she knows, Jedzia Dax will die. Maybe it's time for Anina's place in history to change. Meanwhile, Sisko confronts Jedzia with knowledge of the affair. She won't say why, but she won't say what she knows. Except this. Curzon Dax did love Anina Tandro. And that really is all Jedzia Dax will say. Well, until she takes the stand. There, Sisko asks her about Jedzia's time before becoming joined with Dax. She competed hard, tested well in intelligence and character, earned five or six degrees, all before being joined with the symbiont. Sisko asks, how can you reasonably try this young woman for the crimes committed before she was born? Tandro has a question. When she vied to become a Trill, did Jadzia understand that she could be held responsible for actions carried out by the host-symbiont combos that came before? Whoops! Don't answer that, Jadzia. Make way for the surprise witness, Anina, who says Curzon Dax cannot have transmitted the General's planned route to the Rebels because... Curzon Dax was in bed with Anina at the time of the transmission. Hearing adjourned. 
alone with Jadzia. Anina says she's confused by the trill's silence. Protecting secrets Curzon Dax had sworn to keep, not Jadzia Dax. Jadzia says she knows, really knows, how much Anina meant to Curzon. Plus, the general's memory is treasured on Clayton 4. Anina says it will be still. No one needs to know that it was the general himself who tried to betray the government to the rebels, who went ahead and killed him anyway, and thanks. She has one last favor to ask of Jadzia. Live. Live a long, fresh, and wonderful life. And with that, she takes her leave. The end. Rack to Gino, Ken. <sighs> I don't... What? Uh, Gesundheit, I'm pretty sure. Klingon coffee, man. What? Did you, did you, yeah, yeah. We're hearing about it first. Okay, here. okay. So it's a momentous occasion, and uh, I don't think I want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know what makes it Klingon. Oh, oh, Klingon coffee. I know it by its uh, by its more colloquial name, blood coffee. Oh, yes, yes. Good old, good old blood coffee. <laughs> good, mm-hmm. good to the last drip. Uh, early on in the show, we get a look at those kidnappers. A lot of uh, a lot of camera time for those gloves. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to call it right here, space gloves. Okay. Now I had a question. Actually, mm-hmm. were those cons gloves? Well, I don't think they are. Oh. Um, Could they have been Joaquin's gloves then? Because, well, I mean, see, they, there you go. You, you, yeah, yeah, more of a background player. Somebody yeah. who's not as prominent with the hands on screen. Yeah. Right. Somebody yeah. that Khan would avenge, but not gloves good enough for Khan himself. No, no, definitely not. All right. So you, you think they were sub-quality, that they were not Star Trek II level gloves? Because they did have, nope. they had the same sort of, like, thing going. Right, right. Similar idea there. But yeah, I, I, I don't think they were the same deal. Unless, like you say, they just made some some lesser space gloves for some of Khan's henchmen. And then they got yeah used here. But uh, de- definitely not the Khan gloves. Uh, for Khan himself. Uh, speaking of those kidnappers, the the whole, uh, all of that opening of the show, mm-hmm. um, well, with the exception of the the coffee talk, which we'll get into later, mm-hmm. um, uh, all of that stuff was just fantastic cat and mouse. Like the 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 pacing was great, mm-hmm. uh, the cutting back and forth, it was just so good. I got to say, the progress through the corridors of Deep Space Nine by Tendro and his people. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not to knock what was otherwise a fantastic episode, but it was better than mm-hmm. O'Brien and Tosk uh, trying to evade the hunters and captive prey. Yeah, agreed. It felt more and it felt less at the same time. I can't really put my hand on it, except that, I mean, it was more Mission Impossible, like the movie Mission mm-hmm. Impossible, or more more Ocean's Eleven, honestly, yeah. kind of. It's yeah, like, yeah, sure. I mean, there was just a, there was a nice, um, and in fairness, I mean, they were an insertion team. There is a big difference between people who, you know, plan to get in and get out. Hopefully nobody gets hurt. As opposed to the hunted and the engineer, just like trying to like <laughs> scramble their way someplace. So yeah, maybe yeah. you don't even fault you know uh, the one in Captive Prey because it was a bit more clumsy because those characters were a bit more clumsy because they hadn't had time to plan it. But it was pretty amazing. Um, I will also say I love the scene with the tractor beam in this episode. Um, we don't know at this point what the episode's going to be, right? So when they say get the tractor beam, ah, the tractor beam's not working. Ah, the ship's getting away. At that point, the tractor beam fires, and it sort of fires across the field of view on the screen. Mm -hmm. And either the tractor beam could be shut down with nothing, and then what we've got is actually a pursuit episode, or the tractor beam can pull the ship back 
and what we've got is a captive episode. And we don't know which one it's going to be. And I found myself each time I watched it being really impressed just with that one just that one bit because there's there's a bit of open perspective there where you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But it, but they didn't linger on it. It wasn't quick. They didn't keep us over the commercial break. I mean, it was really yeah, the 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 chase at the beginning, the action, and there's not much action in this episode, but the action in this episode is top notch. Mhm. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about some great scenes here. <laughs> I love um oh, man, Elon saying to Cisco, my conversation, or sorry, saying to Kira, my conversation is with the commander, and Cisco saying, your conversation is with my first officer now. Kira, Nana Visitor, is so, so wonderful in this short scene. It reminds me, it, it, it's it's not the same kind of reaction, but it's the kind of thing that I love about DeForest Kelly as Dr. McCoy, which is that even if the scene isn't particularly about him, even if the dialogue isn't with him in action, you can see it in his eyes that the gears are turning and he is completely 100% engaged in that scene. And and Kira, even if she didn't say a word in this, she is so in that scene and just great. I think she's fantastic here. Um, I also, I love the Arbiter so much. And um, we we got a Facebook message from Paul, and he said, "Please give mad props to Judge Shademaster Five Thousand for the Dax episode. Her fierce side eye and reclaiming my time, no nonsense attitude was my favorite part of an already awesome episode." Yes, uh, she steals every scene. I do not remember you talking about this before, although it wouldn't surprise me. Was she a stage actress back in the day? She's done so many cameos and so many, you know, so many small parts and so many big movies that yeah, it's hard to remember where she began. Yeah, she doesn't have quite the the stage pedigree that Fanula does, but uh, but there there is stage in her past. There's there's um, something about I don't know if it's her delivery or the way it was written, but every time that she goes like, when she comes back into the trial, I mean, she's almost like the like the narrator from Our Town or something. I mean, she's sort of yeah. reestablishing the fact that we're <laughs> yeah. in a not a courtroom setting, but a hearing setting. And mm-hmm. there's something weird about the way that it's written, and yet there's also something wonderful about the way that it's written. She's setting kind of a comedic tone, kind of a serious tone, but definitely let us, letting us know you know, where we are, who's in charge, what we're back to, and, and yet without being... I, I don't know. Yeah, this well written, yeah. well acted. I mean, the whole yeah, she's she's a lot of fun, and she's great. Shade Master Five Thousand. Shade Master Five Thousand. Thank you for that, Paul. And she uses uh, a gavel that's not unlike that one the Klingon judge uses in Star Trek Six. Just the round thing, just to, to slam on the the table. That's great. Although it, was, it had a little thing, though it had a it had a place where she had to hit it. Yeah, right, right. And it has, she wasn't just beating up on the table. Right, no, that, would, that would cost her like a million dollars from Quark, or I'm sorry, five bars of gold press latinum. <laughs> right, yes. right. Yeah. So she had that. That, that is a uh, a Rick Sternbach prop, by the way. Is it? Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Hey, Rick. All right. Far out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Selen Piers is the uh, the trill called in as a witness. He's he's fine. I I just I don't 
get the actor's delivery here, really. So, like, uh, let's say that I got called to come play an alien on Star Trek. And uh, let's say I've never played an alien race before, this particular alien race before. I might watch an episode and figure it out. Or I might ask some questions like, uh, hey, Terry Farrell seems to play a trill pretty much like a human. Um, so that might be one indication how to play Selen Piers. So why is he playing Selen Piers like an alien from a 1950s movie? Okay, here's the problem. I know you're kidding, but no, I'm I'm, actually... I, I, I'm kidding on the square, which means that I'm kidding. Yeah. But there's truth to my kidding. Um, well, he is somebody who operates at the beck and call of the Trillion government, which I was disappointed to find out is not run by Trillion from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But mm -hmm. he is somebody who runs at the beck and call from the Trillion government. He is like, he's not like the ultimate Vulcan or the first Vulcan. He's not more Klingon than Klingon, but he may be a bit more Trill than most because it sort of sounds like, I mean, you can almost even say there's a little bit of a Vulcan thing going on with the Trill. Right? Mm -hmm. Oh, what were Curzon's problems? Well, he liked he liked girls and he liked to drink. He liked to get in trouble occasionally, which makes him sound like anybody, right? But then yeah. they're talking about it here and they're like, yeah, not really very trill when you come down to it. So, I mean, it's quite possible, actually, that uh, that Piers is, I mean, maybe you're supposed to be like, like the ideal trill is completely awkward at a party. Yeah, well, but see, remember, we, we've met a trill before. Mm -hmm. And that's the Trill who was totally into Dr. Crusher. And he was just like, look, I'm, I'm just a guy with another guy inside me. And what do you say, <laughs> the two of us and you, you know? So Wow. And he ended up Riker. What were yeah. the chances? What were the chances <laughs> right, that that right. would be the case? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just saying that the Trills we've met so far have been pretty, pretty chill Trills. And this is not a chill Trill. Yeah. He's, he's only he's, the third uh, Trill we've actually met, though. Yeah. That's yeah. really, yeah, I mean, you have to have at least like, what is it, like 35 before you get a, like an accurate sampling or something, okay. 32, 35, something like that. We got to meet a lot more Trill before we know, you know, what's what with them. All right. I'm just, I, I'm judging him. I, I'm sorry. I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right away. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, but no, the, the funny thing though, you mentioned the Trillian government, mm -hmm. uh, which I believe they don't ever do again. Uh, but like our conversations on, on monocultures, so the, the the symbiont is just a symbiont, but but it's it's a trill. It's going into a trill, and the person is a trill, and uh, they are trill once they are joined. The government is trill. I think I, from now on we should just rename everything human. Okay. Like yes, I'm from the human government on human planet. I have a human job. <laughs> I'm definitely not a robot. Here's well, the thing. I'll though. say that part. Yeah. Would it be would it be the human government though, or the humanian government? Well, it, you say humanian once, <laughs> and then you forget and never you ever again. did that. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then never I again. I see what you're saying. Okay, that's fine. Um, all right. It, there's a major scene in here: the scene between Jadzia and Cisco. Well, they have two uh, scenes by themselves, but but the the main one, the the second one, as we get into, I think the uh, Act Four. It had some great, like amazing moments. Yes. Her describing trying on that ring again, mm -hmm. just a, a short line. Him grabbing her hand after that. Um, but the problem is some of those emotional beats leading up to that just felt really forced to me. It feels like they were shot on different days, on different weeks. Hmm. See, that's interesting because I th I think of that scene and, and wow, we're doing uh, – 
part four of our show and part two of our show. I mm-hmm, think of that yeah. scene, honestly, as one of the strongest scenes in the show, in this particular episode. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Going up to it. I mean, the thing is, I, it, it, it becomes so good, especially when she's talking about trying on the ring, mm-hmm. that I forget about how awkwardly it starts. It, it is in the trial. Well, not, not the trial, but the hearing. It, it is an interesting discussion about becoming a trill mm-hmm. and the competition and the desire to be joined. And I just wonder how that sounds to, say, like an eight-year-old trill. This has got nothing on his or her mind other than eating cereal and watching cartoons <laughs> and doing stuff. And they're like, one day you can have a creature put inside of you that will share your mind. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Actually, what I found myself wondering about is so competition to become a host is is really grueling. They said mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. very difficult to become a host. How many combined trill are there? Because do you have what do you think? It's like an eight to one ratio, like eight people try to be a host, but only one gets to. So that's seven other people. They're like sitting around for the rest of their lives going, I could have been a host. I mean, what is, like what, <laughs> right. what is that? I mean, and like what happens to the rest of those people? And do you have like a planet that's like 90% depressed layabouts oh, because yeah. they couldn't be the thing they wanted to be? Or is it only like 10% of the kids actually try to be? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I want to know now. I mean, thank you very much for answering many questions about the trill. Uh, you've raised at least as many as you answered now. Oh, sure. And, oh, sure, uh, yeah. and I'm really troubled. And I'm worried about the kids who don't make it. Yeah, I think we all should be. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we really resolved everything in the hearing. I mean, we we certainly didn't resolve the big question about whether or not a a trill can be held responsible for a crime if they're in a new host and, you know, but whatever. Uh, We we have seven more years to go uh, thinking about trill things. But there is one specific thing in this episode. when Anina comes into the hearing and says, I know where Curzon Dax was when the transmission was sent. He was in my bed. The next question in my mind was, he sent the transmission from bed? Because, <laughs> you know, I can lay in bed with an iPhone and yeah. I, I can send transmissions all over the place. It's rude. In certain situations, I think it's rude. Okay. It depends. Because right. you got to figure their moments are fleeting, right? If he's going to get in bed and then just like get out his iPhone first thing, yeah, no, she should have kicked him out. I, I didn't say it was the first thing. Well, didn't no, that's true. That's true. Well, our last thing. Come on, a little okay. cuddle time. What do you say? <laughs> Gee whiz. All right. So here's here's the thing, though. Uh, so uh, what Odo said was true when he was like, if they were having an affair, that's motive for murder. And then so then she comes in and she's like, no, no, it couldn't have been him because we were in bed together. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, now that's 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 motive for a conspiracy to commit murder. I mean, that doesn't yeah, right. we haven't changed anything here. We haven't proven anything. I was really weirded out by her whole. Uh, yeah. Nobody has to know that he was actually a traitor because, you know, he's doing good for the planet right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, above all of this, though, I have I have a bigger bone to pick with this episode. Hmm. I'm never going to figure out how Dabo is played if we don't see people playing Dabo. Ugh. It's going to remain a mystery. Young Tandro strolls into Deep Space Nine. Under his breath, he sings a familiar song. It begins, I found my trill. So, Mr. Champion. Yes, Mr. Ray. You, sir, are a fairly dapper man. Oh, that's very kind of you. Yeah. I, you, you'll catch me like at STLV or when I went to that uh, Star Trek convention in Albany or places like that. Heck, out on mm-hmm. the street, you'll catch me in a t-shirt all the time. 
I, I will mm. also be wearing pants and shoes. Mm, good. Yeah. yeah, but but it, but it really all centers around the tea for me. And uh, you're not that guy, generally speaking. However, I'm going to tell you about some cool t-shirts that I think might tempt you the t-shirt way. Okay. Remember when we started this show like 87 years ago? Yes. We yes. had like five t-shirts up on our up on our shop. You go to right. you go to missionlogpodcast.com, you click on shop, and there were a few shirts there. And they uh-huh. were decent, right? They were good uh-huh. shirts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have since actually partnered with a guy, a guy by the name of Carl, Carl who makes really cool designs and who has his own shirt shop as well. He sort of like, uh, he sort of made some shirts for us to sell. Things that are that are a bit more up to date than the ones that we did really when we were covering the first half of the first season of um, of TOS. So here's what we want people to do, if you will, or if you will even, uh, go to missionlogpodcast.com, click on shop up at the top, and you're going to find some really cool TNG-inspired shirts, uh, including, very excited about this one, there is a shirt that looks looks really a whole lot like Lieutenant Junior J. And, and just like a lot of fun stuff. Carl does some exceptional work. It would be really wonderful if you checked them out. Of course, we got some old favorites there, too. Like we got the, um, oh, we got Ethos Pathos logos. We got Cool as Kirk. Uh, our friend uh, from Ditalix Mining Corporation is back. <laughs> All kinds of stuff there to check out. So if you would, please, and I've got this dream, and I was telling John this dream earlier, my dream is there's like 15 of us wearing the Lieutenant Junior J shirt yeah. standing with Tracy Lee Coco at STLV. So we've all got our pictures with Lieutenant Junior J like 16 times, you know, counting our shirts and her. So if you would just go take a look, new designs turning up all the time. That is the plan. Missionlogpodcast.com and then click on shop. And did I leave anything out, sir? No, uh, well said, Ken. Uh, other than that, you can get those designs, which are original and very, very cool, not only on T-shirts, but many of them on uh, stickers and iPhone cases and other creative products. And, and those designs that Carl has done lend themselves to uh, to many other products. So maybe if you're not a T-shirt guy, but you are a uh, stick this on my iPhone case guy, then uh, Lieutenant Junior J is there for you. Do you journal? Are you one who journals or writes notes or maybe writes stories? They have tablets there with the designs on them, yes, too. and they are lovely. Tell people again, if you would, please, sir, how they find that shop. Very easy. Missionlogpodcast.com. Click on shop and, uh, and give it a look, and then we'll, uh, we'll see you at a convention with your Mission Log gear. All right. Can we talk about persistent character flaws? And whether oh we're going to keep talking about persistent character flaws, right? <laughs> yeah. Because they are so persistent that six mm-hmm. weeks in, I'm tired of it. Like, oh, wow. Like, okay. we're going to have to stop talking about Julian's persistence where Dax is concerned at some point. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say, I do like her tack in the prologue. Ignore him. Just ignore yeah. him. He's like, you know, I'm, I, I can think of ways to keep you up all night. He actually said that. That's a line. Yeah. I can think of better ways to keep you up all night. And she just goes on with the conversation that she's basically having with herself by herself, right? Yeah. I like that treatment of it. Of course, what would really be better if he would just knock it the flip off? Yeah. I, so here's the thing. He, he's sort of um, – the way he has been presented so far, 
Uh, he, he's sort of, you know, awkward, shy, uh, thinks he's cooler than he is, but he's also sort of a, uh, a genteel and decent guy that we can tell. So all of this stuff, I like, using a line like that just seems really, uh, out of place and, and creepy. That this is, one of the first times that I think Bashir has crossed the line into the, the territory of a guy who needs to get a clue. So here's the thing. Flirting, great. Uh, telling the same medical school story to impress the ladies, fine, fine. Okay, did it, it really worked for you? Great, fine. Uh, Julian Bashir really, really likes women. Again, totally fine. But being told, I'll go on my own. And then immediately following Dax, come on, dude, come on, yeah, come on, you, you're better than this, okay? That is terrible. Mm-hmm. Although he really should have picked up at this point, like, like the constant hitting on her is just not working out. Right? right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and then the following her is actually creepy. And then what's really terrible is if we assume this kind of continuity, and I know we can't expect this kind of continuity right now, but if we assume that he's learning something from week to week. First of all, there's no indication that he is because week six, he's still flirting as hard as he was in week one. But he actually gets rewarded for his bad behavior in this episode because by following her when she clearly said no, he's actually end up uh, he actually ends up being able to save her from being abducted. Yeah, it's um, ugh. I and I know that like they had to come up with an excuse, but that just felt like such a. Oh, such a gross excuse. And and here's the thing. It gets even weirder because he's still flirting with her while testifying. Hmm. I mean, his his delivery – look, there is a Julian Bashir that is the guy who is in the lab just giving some very straightforward uh, medical or scientific news to Cisco or Kira or whomever else. And then there's the Bashir – on the stand going, uh, well, Curzon and Jadzia are two unique individuals, and clearly Jadzia is way dreamier. Yeah, he doesn't say that, but it's in his voice, and it's so uh, – he, he's playing he's playing that subtext, and it just feels odd. Here's the one I'm looking forward to, and I know I'm saying I want him to change his ways, and I actually do want him to change his ways, but I am looking forward to the episode where he's like, well, I'm, I'm sorry to let you know you're dying. Sorry, because I won't be able to take you out the way I wanted to. <laughs> Something he's like, he really yeah. is just terrible. He really is just, and yet, okay, so then here's the question that we have. We know now that this is how he's going to be written, at least for the foreseeable future. Do we, for the sake of this show, stop talking about it, or do we start talking about it when he stops doing it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, or do we have yeah, to hit it? Yeah, do we yeah. have to keep hitting it every week going, yeah, yeah, we're still doing this. Let's move on. In fact, let's move on. How about Odo blackmailing Quark? Huh? How about that? Mm-hmm. That was that was exactly what Odo has been told not to do repeatedly. <laughs> but see, I uh, I I didn't have that much of a problem with that. Really? Because, really? Yeah. Because, okay, so uh, it, so let's let's just do the stupid thing. It's your bar. It's your bar. And somebody has come to you and said, listen, by the way, no livelihood for however long this takes, because we need this. And you're free to say no, but I'm also going to close you down anyway. And you'll be closed down for months. Give me what I want, or I will make your livelihood go away for who knows how long. 
Yeah, it's reprehensible, but it, 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 it's it's Louis Renault in Casablanca or it's Colonel Strasser in Casablanca. It, it, it's either one. That this is where they live. We we've already established that that, that this is what happens in this show and that business with with Odo managing the the business of the place. Yeah, like. Cisco can tell him as much as he wants. Hey, we, we play by the rules here. And Odo can say, boy, those Cardassian rules were so much simpler and straightforward. But, you know, the lines of jurisdiction are still a bit murky here. And his relationship with uh, Quark is a very unique thing. So, yeah, I, I agree. It's reprehensible. That's the flavor of this show. That was the flavor of ricks in casablanca yeah but he's supposed to be one of our good guys and i know he is one of our good guys and i don't know mm -hmm. if he actually would have done that to quark but quark has a real fear that he would have yeah i i don't think he would have truly if it came down to it mm -hmm. but he's he's playing here's quark. the problem though you can't you can't bluff yes he's playing quark but here's the thing if quark had actually said no no absolutely not i mean odo has to at that point close him down because otherwise, Quark's never going to do anything Odo wants again, unless it's out of the goodness of his heart. And so far, we haven't uh, seen much of the goodness of Quark's heart. He hasn't been as bad as the other characters treat him, but we haven't seen mm -hmm. a lot of goodness out of him either. Yeah, sure. I got to say, I mean, you know, as long as we're doing, because uh, I'm going to do it, I'm going to rewrite it. It would have been better for Quark to offer his place without being leaned on and then start taking bets on the side as far as whether Jadzia would, you know, answer for the crimes of Curzon. And it, and honestly, that would, I mean, first of all, that would have been very in character for Quark. He's missing an opportunity at profit here. He could have sold snacks, yeah, yeah. he could have sold drinks, and he could have taken side bets. And then we actually have a chance for some interesting philosophical discussion about the behavior, both about the behavior of betting on possible misfortune for somebody who ostensibly is your friend, but also, I mean, you could have a lot of, you know, psychological discussions about whether or not this thing that's in front of them now should answer for the crimes of the past, but in a more dispassionate way, almost like the mm -hmm. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern bits of, of Hamlet, say, when you can talk about the action that's going on without, you know, involving the characters that it's involving, when you can take a sort of a third person view of the whole thing. Might have been kind of interesting. Or not. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so I, here's the thing. We, we're talking about these character flaws, but I, there's something in this episode that I really dig that we get so much character flaw. <laughs> we're seeing a lot of complexity, and we're seeing every one of our heroes and, and even the guests has some kind of, if not a flaw, a blind spot. And it's fascinating to see all of those bump into each other. So Dax is blinded by her loyalty. Um, and, and I, I love the description of, uh, of, uh, Cisco saying more faults than the usual socially acceptable trill, mm -hmm. uh, to describe Curzon Dax. Uh, but then this Dax, Genzia Dax, just it, uh, almost using the loyalty to a, to a fault here. Um, uh, Ilan is, is blinded by his desire for justice or his perception of justice or revenge as it may be here. Uh, Cisco is blinded by his incredulity and later by his anger. I talk about that scene where he punches the wall and that kind of uncomfortable moment. Um, and um, I'm especially interested in this part of it. So we, we've seen Kirk just presume 
Spock's innocence because, hey, it's Spock and, and Spock would never do anything as bad as we can accuse him of now. And, and if we bring in another captain, I don't know if Picard would have gone about things quite the same way. But that scene with Cisco giving direction to his staff to go find evidence about Dax is fascinating. I, he says, from this moment on, our answer is no. You, you just you just go find evidence to fit exactly what my narrative is because I know this person and I will not be convinced otherwise that, oh, that this person is somebody else. I don't know. See, I'm not sure I agree with that quite. How was that? He didn't say go and find evidence that uh, Dax is innocent. What he's trying to prove is that Curzon Dax and Jadzia Dax are two different people. And so what he instructs them to do is go out and find precedent that you can't hold a trill who had been in one host responsible for what, you know, you can't hold the current host responsible for what happened with the previous host. That's what he tells Kira to do. And he tells uh, Bashir to find some sort of medical something that proves that they're different people. He's not saying if you find evidence that he sent that transmission, bury it. What he's saying is there is there's I'm I'm arguing a. Basically, he's trying to make precedent. He's hoping to find precedent, but if he can't find it, then he'll make it. So I, I understand that. And and still, what he's saying is basically, if you find precedent about this, that's the wrong thing to find. So if they came back with a thousand legal precedents that said, mm -hmm. here, here are all the places that a trill can be held responsible for all this. Like, yep, yeah, that's the wrong one. You're, you're still doing it wrong. And you come back with a thousand more. You're still doing it wrong. He's absolutely invested in believing exactly what he wants to believe. And I get that the, the legal precedence is not the same thing as making the, uh, uh, the, the moral judgment about his friend, mm -hmm. but he is absolutely invested in wanting to believe something to the extent that, well, he only wants to see what he wants to see. And I, and I get it. You know, all they need is the one irrefutable uh, uh, precedent to put in front of the arbiter to say, oh, here's the one that we came up with. I don't see it as quite the same thing, though. I mean, honestly, I don't understand. The burden should have been more on Tondro because it seems pretty obvious to me that these are two different people. These are two separate people. And that's all Cisco is really arguing. I think even if it had come back, yes, here is a picture of Curzon Dax sending out the transmission, he would still argue, well, that really stinks because Curzon Dax was my friend, and I'm sorry that that guy was guilty, but you still have a different person here, and this person is innocent because this person is not there. I will tell you honestly, this is honestly one of the problems that I had. It's not a problem I had with the episode because it is fascinating, but I, what I kept trying to figure out is what can we liken the change from Curzon Dax to Jadzia Dax to in our human terms, Right. Because where, where I kept getting stuck was the impossibility of the trill. This episode seems to offer a little for me if I can't, you know, liken that change to something. Like, is it somebody who's come back from war? Is it somebody who's had a religious conversion? Is it somebody who had a near-death experience or, you know, suffered from some illness that changed them? Is it somebody who's coming out? Uh, is it somebody who's realizing that they, are, that they are transgender or that they are a different gender than we thought they were when they were born? Right. I mean, mm -hmm. because other, otherwise, I don't understand why they're having a hearing. Jadzia is somebody different. She just is. It seems to me. 
And so for Cisco to be so like, I think Cisco probably would have been just as ferocious, even if he was like, oh, yeah, Curzon told me he killed that guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that was Curzon. And this is Jedzia. Yeah, well, I, it's interesting, though. I mean, we we've talked about this a little bit before in our show, and I forget specifically on which episodes, but you know, trying to understand things like blame and responsibility, particularly when it comes to criminal justice, we we do establish different degrees within that. So, you know, you can have uh, you can have a, a murder trial, uh, but then it's a very different thing to label someone as guilty when it is a premeditated murder as opposed to what we might call a crime of passion. Or if you say, well, this person was out of their right mind because of drugs or alcohol or some other circumstance that would make them act out of what their normal everyday behavior is like. So we, we do judge those differently. doesn't mean that that person isn't responsible to some extent and may not receive some punishment to some extent. Uh, but, but we do do that. You know, and this is happens to be, you know, we're taking it to the sci-fi extreme here where you can say, well, we've actually changed the brain function of this person. And that's what was interesting about um, uh, Bashir's testimony in this, saying that, yeah, you know, I, I can look at the brain waves and they are totally different brain waves. However, you can also separate out that part that was that that is solely Dax and and is not Jadzia, and that Dax has lived before and been in a different host before. Right, but you can't say who did what. I mean, had there actually been a mm -hmm. crime committed, you can't say who did what. I mean, maybe it's the combination of the two that, you know, uh, commit whatever crime it was, even though no crime mm -hmm. was actually committed. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, I mean, maybe it was Curzon who 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 did that because yeah, right. cuz i found right. myself wondering too like like so the the thing inside of Curzon and the thing inside of Jadzia how much of a choice did they have like like did he come off whatever living in practically a nun or a monk before he went into Curzon and he's like you know i want a little bit of a wild child so so get that one cleaned up i'll be back in 20 <laughs> minutes or whatever and then having been curzon this wild and crazy guy for so long does he then choose to be somebody who's going to be a bit more reserved like jedzia or is jedzia being so reserved because curzon was so crazy there was one there was one other thing that i found myself wondering and i wanted to ask you about it what do you make of anina's final request to jedzia to live a long fresh and wonderful life love it well, okay, yes, I loved it too, but what do you make of it? Like, why? Why Why did she say that to Jadzia? I, well, I, I think there's a lot of ways to read that moment, but I, I, I think, to me, it, it's the character Anina sort of parting ways with this lover that she had. The, the, the part of Dax that is Dax, that has the memories of Curzon Dax, is something that she's remembering very fondly you know they they uh, we established their loyalty uh to each other and and what their relationship was like and, and i think it's sort of a final way to say goodbye we don't know the situation the the circumstances around their goodbye before and we do know that anina had no idea that curzon had died so we have to assume that whatever the communication was cut off and um and they they had not spoken since 
their their affair had lasted so that that felt like a it felt like a a kind and loving and respectful way to say goodbye to the person that she had this romantic relationship mm-hmm. that was also respectful of the new person that she partly he is okay i th- i wondered if it might be Anina letting them both setting them both free from what happened in a way. Mm. Anina has lived in the shadow of the legend that her husband became after he died. Mm-hmm. And she decides at this, you know, late date, nuts to that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be me. I'm gonna say what was true. I'm gonna I'm gonna save this person or this being about which I care. And I'm going to live my life instead of living the life of the general's widow, right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of wondered if she wasn't telling Jadzia, thanks, I appreciate this. The two of you have held on to this for quite a while now, and, 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 and you're free of it now. Go do, go do your thing now. Maybe let loose a tiny bit because we can let this go. With the hearing adjourned and the goodbye said, it is time to see what we can take from Dax. The episode John is called Dax, and for those who don't know, uh, this is the one about Dax. Time now for us to talk about the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode and uh, decide for ourselves whether we feel like this episode holds up today. Dax, John, does Dax hold up as far as you're concerned? I think it's got a lot going for it. Yeah, it's uh, it's character-driven. Now it's talky since <laughs> it's a courtroom drama, uh, but it really works. You know, they, they build character, they build tension. Uh, every argument has a compelling counter-argument. Um, we get to know just enough more about everybody, even if we don't always appreciate knowing more about everybody, like we do Dr. Bashir here. <laughs> but um, but this is a good thing in general early on in the show when you're still establishing characters and you're still establishing relationships. Uh, I love the detail we get about the trill here. This episode was designed for that, but it's executed really well. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't feel like, Oh, we need to do something to explain the trill. So somebody sit down and do that. No, it it feels here like the story came first. Um, And we do get a better handle on Cisco's relationship with Dax. I feel like up until now, there was a lot of, there was just a lot of telling us that they had a relationship. But here we actually got to experience it. Mm -hmm. Um, Particularly in that one scene that is, uh, I would contend, part terrible and part wonderful. <laughs> and um, and then uh, Cisco's testimony at the arbitration. He He's at the, at the hearing. Um, he's terrific in that moment describing what Curzon Dax meant to him. So um, I, I think so much ground is covered here and, and it makes you feel what that's like instead of just telling you what that is like. Um, 
I've already talked about my respect for Peter Alvin Fields, and it's interesting to note that he was a writer on Half a Life and The Inner Light, uh, two very powerful next-gen episodes that dipped into ideas about mortality and identity. Uh, so great to see those themes recur in his work. Now, he also wrote Cost of Living. We will pretend that I did not mention that here. That's the one with the mud baths? Yep, sure wow. is, and the floating head. Uh, Sorry. Why do I remember that? Because you remember the higher, the fewer, that's why. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Yeah. Um, and, and the message at the end, which we just talked about in the last segment, that emotional punch, it, it is just wonderful. Uh, it it reminds me of something that I wrote for my grandmother's funeral, the, the, the way that we celebrate someone's life is to live our own lives to our fullest. And, and I love that send off that Anina gives to Dax. Um, it, it's so wonderfully played in an episode that was, um, there was a lot of emotion, but there was also a lot of procedural stuff. Mm -hmm. And to have that emotional button on the end, played by two terrific actors, uh, was just absolutely perfect. So um very pleased with this episode, and I definitely think it holds up. It it holds up not just because it's a good episode and, and compelling entertainment. It holds up because, you know, these are characters that we will be with now for many episodes to come. And you needed this kind of exposition for somebody that we will see a lot of and for whom there are many questions. So uh, I was glad that we, uh, we got this as early on as we did. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to sound like uh, a mixed bag here. Yes, I think the episode holds up, and yet there are parts of it that I find very unsatisfying. I think there are a lot of interesting ideas here that could have been explored a bit more. Uh, the idea of truth over decorum, uh, the idea of redemption, uh, the idea of responsibility for past actions. And I feel like all of those get blown away in the reveal, right? Mm -hmm. And then just to make sure that we really don't think Jadzia Dax is a bad character at all in any way, or or maybe even so we can go ahead and let Curzon Dax off the hook as well. Uh, we find out that the general was double dealing that he had, you know, sent the info on the route that he was taking to himself and that he had betrayed his people. So, while Curzon Dax was no angel, the friend he was betraying was worse, right? Um, and I sort of feel like that was that was sewing things up a little too much. I'd rather the hearing had ended somehow without knowing, without us knowing what Anina knew, because once they solved the problem of the sci-fi magic, they knocked the legs out of the rest of it, as far as I'm concerned. Um, mm -hmm. And and that's only because. <sighs> I, I want the ambiguous ending, honestly. I want to be able to sit around and debate this, debate, you know, whether Curzon did it. I would love to not know whether Curzon did it, but it's okay because we're not dealing with Curzon Dax, we're dealing with Jedzia, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, wish, I wish everything hadn't been sewn up. I wish we hadn't known for sure. Now, again, like I say, he's no angel. I mean, so we do still have, you know, there was this character with questionable character, and now there's this character that we're dealing with who has an, an unimpeachable character as far as we know. But I still kind of wish we didn't know as much about Curzon as we did, or I wish they hadn't you know, told us everything that happened. That said, it adds a lot of depth to the Dax character, the conversation between Sisko and Jedzia about the ring. I know it bothers you how weak that scene starts, but it ends so strong that I forget how weak it starts. 
until we're mm-hmm. talking about it. Because she's talking about like she's talking about trying to hold on to who she was. She's talking about trying to hold on to something that she loved about the being that came before, and she can't. And it's just it's it's just a it's just a wonderful wonderful scene. Uh, the woman who played Anina is fantastic. Um, it was a well fleshed out episode. Uh, for the sake of the philosophical discussion, it was just a tiny bit too fleshed out for me. I'd rather they had mm-hmm. left me scratching my head at the end instead of saying, no, no, it, it's okay. Here, here's what happened. I kind of wish they had left me wondering because then we could have done three shows. <laughs> Talk to <laughs> sure. me about the messages, though. Yeah, a few that I like here. Um, uh, for... Uh, for so many characters who who started out with uh, with a belief, uh, follow the evidence wherever it goes, even if it contradicts what you believe or what you want to be true. You have to follow the evidence. Uh, so I thought that was one, and uh, the other one that you know, talking about the flawed characters here, that the people are just people. They they aren't the legends that we sometimes make them out to be. They aren't magic. Everyone has flaws and it's okay. And you feel bad for Anina having to live with this idea of playing the role of the good widow and, and sort of, as she says, you know, still essentially getting fan mail 30 years later hmm. uh, about this guy that she's like, well, she knew the real person and he was just a real person. Sometimes you got to accept that even if people do great things, they're not great all the time, that they still have flaws, but it's okay. It's okay to have flaws. And it sounds like the general got in a bit over his head and was actually a terrible person on some level. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. Yeah. All right. I'm going to take one more pass at this Cisco and the law thing. Okay. Okay. I'm going to see if I can bring you over to my side on this. Okay. All right. We have had laws in this country in the past based on race. Uh-huh. We have yeah. had laws in this country in the past based on sex, based on sexual yeah. orientation. We've had all kinds of laws that at some point somebody had to say, you know what? This is wrong. Let's make a case for why this is wrong. And that's what Cisco is doing in this episode. And I know it has to do with his friend, but you know what? I'll bet in a lot of those cases it had to do with people's friends as well, or at least people they knew, or at least stories that they knew, right? Mm-hmm. I don't feel like Cisco is saying, get my friend Curzon Dax off the hook. I feel like Cisco is saying, this is a different person. That's the case we need to make. And you may well find stuff that says, this is the same person. I'm telling you, my belief is it isn't. Let's make that argument. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. No, uh, look, he, he he's trying very hard to make exactly that case. I It, it still comes across as I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I show that my friend is innocent. <laughs> uh, you know, here's it. But uh, here's the thing. Flip, flip this around, though. Mm-hmm. The general's son, Elon, is starting from the same perspective. It doesn't matter what else crops up. He is absolutely determined that... Curzon Dax killed his father. Right. No matter what, and no matter what other evidence crops up, he is unwilling to cede any of that ground until mom shows up and boy, do they need to have a long talk after this. Yeah, I really don't think Cisco cares at this point whether Curzon Dax did it, though. That's what I'm saying. 
I don't think I don't think I don't think Cisco wants to believe that. But again, I think if you showed picture, if you showed Cisco a picture of Curzon <laughs> pulling a knife out of the general's back, uh. he'd still be like, oh, well, Curzon's been dead for two years, though. What are we talking about? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so that's OK. I, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> I do, okay. The, I will tell you the message that I did like is the one that I was talking about earlier. Um, Anina's final request to Jadzia to live a long, fresh, and wonderful life. I think I think she's you know telling her to kick up her heels now and again to not be held captive to the ideas um, of how she's supposed to be or the sins of the past. Yeah, and that that was my favorite message out of the whole thing. Since you know all the rest of the messages kind of got explained away in a way. Um, for me personally, and yet, and again, that sounds like I don't like the episode. And yes, I absolutely think this episode holds up. So yay, Dax. I hope, I hope she comes back for another episode sometime. Really? Oh, that'd be great. Uh, but it'd be a mistake to name all of those episodes Dax. <laughs> right. Uh, this week, yeah. Dax 173. Right. Yeah. Might be a, might be a bit much after a while. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment Executive Producer Rod Roddenberry. The Roddenberry Podcast Network can be found at podcast.roddenberry.com, and over there you will find not only our show, but Mission Log Live, and Women at Warp, Priority One, and The Trek Files. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM at trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, The Passenger. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. While I have not seen it yet, I am guessing that the next show, The Passenger, has something to do with a passenger. I look forward to seeing whether I am correct. And transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network